appreciate y'all. Some, some of you are already ready to go. I love it. All right. Good morning. Great to see each and every one of you here today. Thank you so much for joining us, and good morning to everyone who is watching online at home. We are thankful to have you with us as well. Our job right now is to sing, 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 and make music to the heavens, to worship and honor the one and only God. Are you ready, folks? All right. All right, here we go. We will sing, 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 and make music with the heavens. We will sing, 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 grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise. With high the name of Jesus. That's right. And what's not to love? What's not to love about you? Heaven and earth adore you. King and kingdoms bow down. Son of God, you are the one. You are the one. We live in for. Oh, yes, you are. And you are. You are the love and And make music with the heavens. We 
will sing, sing, sing. Yes, we will pray for that you hear us. We are your praise. We are the name of Jesus. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Scriptures say, Scripture says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He's here. And he is the source of all joy, and the source of all peace and contentment. And let's celebrate right now. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. Oh, yes, He does, and there is joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We sing. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always takes away. Because He hung up on that cross and He rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. Oh, yes, He is, and there's joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. One more time now. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Running free, we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Just you and the drums now, here we go. There's joy in the house of the Lord. 
There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out that praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out that praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We shout it out. We shout out your If you're like me, uh, perhaps you'd like to uh, cultivate a greater sense of gratitude in your life, Uh, something I find I need to constantly work on. And there was this 17th century British poet named George Herbert, and he wrote a poem called Gratefulness. And in this poem, he wrote, Thou hast given me so much. God grant me one more thing, a grateful heart. Herbert recognized the only thing that he needed in order to be thankful was simply an awareness of the blessing that God had already given him. And the scriptures tell us that that he is the giver of all good things. It says that in James chapter 1. In Romans 11, it says, For from him and through him and for him are all things. And uh, so I just want to encourage you as we start this next song to open our eyes to how God has blessed us, and maybe as we're seeing through it, you can just say, God, help me to reflect on what you've done. Help me to, to just create in me a grateful heart, Lord. So. On the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that gave me life, grace flowing from His side, no greater sacrifice. What He's done. What He's done. What He's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Sing, sing for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done, his life has overcome. Speak, say the name above all names, over every broken place. He's risen from the grave. What he's done. What he's done. What he's done. 
deliverance. So moving forward to the time of Jesus and his disciples, they were together celebrating Passover, but Jesus was doing something new. Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. You see, Jesus was referring to the coming hours when he, the perfect lamb, would give his body for you and for me, where he would be beaten, crucified, and buried. And Jesus said that his body would be broken for us. Then Jesus took a cup and gave thanks and passed, passed it to his disciples, saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus is the final perfect Passover lamb. He fulfilled the requirements that set forth in Exodus 12. And Jesus tells us in Luke to do this in remembrance of me. This is why the Lord's Supper, why we take the Lord's Supper together is so important. We just sang a song that said, See, on a hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, and my future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Can you grasp what he has done for us? Our sins are forgiven. And this is why we celebrate communion. I'm going to ask each of you to come forward, this side to my right and this side to my left. And we're going to, we're going to take the elements. We're going to take the bread and the juice to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And once you, do, once you grab those elements and have your seat, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then I'm going to lead us um, in communion. So you may go ahead and come forward. Facebook, feel free to go run and grab some juice and cracker and join us in the community. So right now, I just want to take a moment of reflection on what he's done and where we're at. And I'm just going to give you a few minutes to just kind of have a little conversation with God. And if there's anything that's on your heart, that maybe God has placed that you need to seek forgiveness of, um, I want you to take a moment and do that right now.
Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. Because our desire is to live for you. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup after supper, saying, This is my cup. Excuse me, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed on our behalf. We acknowledge that he carried sin and fear and torment and unforgiveness and strife for us. Through his sacrifice for us, we have complete forgiveness and cleansing before God and total deliverance from our sin. Jesus has turned our mourning into dancing and our shame into glory, and he is the only one who can. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Greeting time. So, what I'd like you to do is take a moment and um, walk across the room and say good morning to someone.
folks. Let's make our way back. Our God is a God of new beginnings. Our God is the one who can make beauty from ashes and turn graves into gardens. Let's celebrate that now. I search the world It couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures that fade Never enough Then you came along Back together, every desire is now satisfied here in your heart. And there's nothing, oh, there's nothing better than you, oh, there's nothing.
everybody how you guys doing fantastic if you're joining us either through uh, YouTube uh, or through uh, Facebook we're really glad you're with us today and uh, I'm really glad all of you are with us this morning and it's really good to see you sorry I'm stalling so I can get this to the right height that feels good all right all right well today we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 14 so if you have your Bible I'd encourage you to pull it out or your phone, turn it on, whatever. And uh, we are going to have the scriptures up on the screen as well. Uh, I, I'd like you to think for a moment, when is a time in your life when you encountered something or you experienced something where you were, like, really afraid? I'd like you to think about a moment in your life when you faced what felt like an impossible situation. Just absolutely impossible. It felt hopeless, Okay. Uh, you felt like your back was against the wall. There was no way to go. Okay? I want you to think about that for a few minutes. Because I think it's important to really kind of connect with our lives and then look at what the Scriptures speak to us and how they can speak to us about life. So I'd like you to think about that for a moment, if, if you would. Uh, and then I just want to kind of bring everybody to the same place. So if you're joining us either through YouTube or Facebook, this is your first uh, time with us. We're especially glad you're with us. But let me just tell you where we're at. We're in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. The book of Genesis is how God created all things and how God created all the nations and how God created one nation in particular, the nation of, of Israel that were the descendants of Abraham. And Exodus really is part two. It's really a part two of a five-volume book written by Moses that's often called the Pentateuch. So you've got uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? And so in Exodus chapter 2, it picks up about 400 years, approximately, well, actually a little over 400 years after uh, Genesis chapter 50. And it tells us that, that you know, in, at the end of Genesis, we read about how the family of Jacob had moved down to Egypt because of a great famine. And Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, was the prime minister of Egypt at that time, and he had done something that brought about a great salvation of life. And he had prepared Egypt for this famine. And so all of Israel joins them there. And when we begin to read Exodus, this is what we read, that there arose a Pharaoh, a ruler, a king of Egypt, who did not know Joseph and really didn't care much for the Israelites. 
In fact, he was afraid that if an enemy uh, nation were to try to come and invade them or conquer them, that the Israelites might join them. And so what that Pharaoh did, what that king of Egypt did, was he subjected Israel to some of the cruelest treatment, 400 years of extremely oppressive slavery. Okay, It was, it was just brutal. It was brutal. These people worked every day, seven days a week. They never had time off for a birthday, no time off for Christmas or Easter or Passover or anything like that. They never had a national holiday. They never, uh, you didn't go on a honeymoon. You didn't get to go out to eat. You did not get to rest at all. You worked every morning till late at night, and the next day you did the same thing again and again and again. And what the Bible tells us is the people of Israel cried out to God. They cried out to God because of this oppressive slavery, this cruel mistreatment. And the Bible says that God heard their cry. He saw their misery. He remembered His covenant and He cared. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that God raised up a leader, a man named Moses, a very, very reluctant leader. And as we read through Exodus, we read about how you know, Moses is like, you know, God, please send somebody else. I, I really don't want to do this. I really don't. And he, he says, you know, I'm, I, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a very good speaker. The people may not believe me that you sent me. They may ask who you are. What am I supposed to tell them? You know, and, and he raises every objection you can think of. The only objection he didn't raise was this. He didn't raise the objection is, you know, I'm 80 years old. Could you please send somebody else? Because Moses was 80 when God sent him on this mission. By the way, you're never too old to be sent on a mission by God. All right? Just, just saying. All right? And so he says, uh, he's, and, and finally he says, he says, you know, God, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. And Rich, we were talking about this the other day, and Rich noted that there are five different excuses that Moses, uh, that Moses makes. And it's the very first time we ever read in the Bible that God was angry. The Bible says God was angry with Moses. And basically what God says to Moses, you know, go. You know, you're going to go. Your brother Aaron, who's 84, is going to go with you. But I want you to go to Moses. And I want you to tell Moses, let my people go so that they may worship me. And when Pharaoh goes to Moses, the Bible tells us that, that when, excuse me, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, if I get Moses and Pharaoh confused, it's kind of like my kids, you know, you know. My kids, I have one who's named Moses and another whose name is Pharaoh, so I confuse them all the time. Just kidding. But it, it's like that in my head anyway. Uh, but what, 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 what Moses does, he says, he goes to, he, he goes to, to Pharaoh and he says, he says, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, now remember, the God of the Hebrews, the, the Hebrews are slaves. Okay? This is like, uh, when you think of racism, you think of, uh, if a person's a racist, they believe that their race is superior to other races. Okay? They begin to think of other races as being less human than themselves. My, my son and daughter-in-law recently got back from Rwanda. And, and they were there on the, their 4th of July celebrates the end of the genocide back in, is that in the 1990s, I think? Uh, but the Hutus and the Tutsis, actually not two different races, just two different classes of people. And um, but this uh, this is what happens when people have a hatred for other people, thinking that they're inferior to them. And so what Pharaoh said is that he, he says, who is the Lord? 
Who is the Lord? The God of the Hebrews, a despised people, that I should listen to him. And so what God does through Moses, and it's real interesting, is, is the first thing that, that Pharaoh says, he says, uh, you know, he, he tells the foreman of the slaves, he says, I want you to, to make the work of the Israelites harder because they're lazy. They're lazy. They're just lazy. And, and they have too much time on their hands. So make their work even harder than it's been. They've been making bricks for now on. As they make bricks, they have to go gather their own straw because they would use straw in the making of these bricks. They have to gather their own straw, but they must still meet the same quota of bricks. And uh, the Israelites were not happy about this. In fact, they were very unhappy, uh, in particular with Moses. Okay? And, um, and uh, sometimes things get harder before they get better, right? I mean, in life. Sometimes when you're facing something that's really, really hard and you cry out to God, at first it may even feel like God's not even hearing us. In fact, sometimes it may feel like things are getting harder. Uh, But uh, what I would say is keep crying out to God. But we want to come today to Exodus chapter 14. I'm just going to open it up here real quick. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version of the Bible. This is the 2011 NIV. And uh, as we walk through this, I, I just kind of want to do what I've been doing over the last few weeks. Basi- uh, r- real quickly, we're passing over Exodus chapter 13, you know, because we talked about the Passover. Uh, because in chapter 13, you see a lot of the same uh, themes. And it talks about the consecration of the firstborn male. And I would like to come back and speak to that again at a later time, just not now. And I actually have two sermons on Exodus 14, but I only want to preach one today. Okay? Then next week we're going to kick off with a brand new series on the book of James. And we're going to talk about a faith that works. So does your faith work? Well, next week we're going to talk about a faith that does work. So we're going to spend some time in the New Testament. But we're going to be coming back to Exodus. But today we are at this place in Exodus where it comes to uh, like this climax. It is, this is a climactic point uh, in what God does uh, in, in, in the book of Exodus here. And in verse 14, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 14, the Bible says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, at, at this point, uh, there had been ten different plagues that God had brought against the Egyptians. Ten plagues. The first one was turning the Nile into blood. The last one was the plague of the firstborn, where all firstborn children uh, died. All firstborn males died. Uh, that did not have... Uh, the blood of the Passover lamb spread on the doorpost and over the door frame. And, and so there had been these ten just like, you know, really incredible plagues. And in chapters 12 and 13, Israel began to leave, but they've only been gone uh, from Sukkoth. They traveled from Ramesses to Sukkoth, and they've only been gone probably at this point in time maybe a week or two weeks. So they're a week or two weeks away from seeing these incredible miracles uh, of God. And then the Lord said to Moses, he says, tell the Israelites to turn back. Now, I, if, I don't know. If I'm, if I'm me, I, if I'm me and I'm living back then and they're saying, turn back, it's like, I don't want to go back. Why would I want to go back? Why would I want to go back to Egypt? 
And so, and so the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and to camp near Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. By the way, if you were a general and you were commanding an army, you would not want to position your people in this place. It was a place where you would be trapped. Mountains on one side, mountains on the other side, a sea behind you. This is not a place where you want to be, especially if your army is made up of not just men, but women and children. This is not the place where you want to be. Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near, to, uh, and camp near Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Okay? So you know exactly the place I'm talking about, right? Don't you all know where this place is? Haven't you been there before? Okay, so it looks kind of like this. I know this is going to be really awkward, all right? So pretend like my arm is the Red Sea, okay? Have you ever seen a map of the Red Sea before? You know, you got Egypt. Wait a second. No, you got Egypt over here, okay? The Sinai Peninsula up here. Over here is Arabia, okay? And, and, and right here is the Red Sea, okay? And, and when you look at the Red Sea, you've got the main body of water down here, but you have what look like two fingers, that go up. You have a finger that kind of points northwesterly, another finger that kind of points northeasterly. They're right about here. Okay? They're, uh, they're right by that finger that points in kind of a northwesterly direction. Are y'all with me? Alright, so they're in this place that's not a great place to be. And so why is the Lord telling them to do this? Why would He tell them to go to this place? Verse 3. Thanks for asking. Verse 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I know some of us are like, why does God harden someone's heart? And what we've been saying, remember this, we've been saying God sends these plagues, and each time it's in response to a phrase. Seven different times God says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And seven different times the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. See, and what we've said is this, is that God never hardens a person's heart against their will. He only hardens a person's heart according to their will. So he says, um, verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. He'll pursue Israel. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know. The Egyptians will know. I am the Lord. Remember when Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should listen to him. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? What have we done? What have we, what have we, we we've let the Israelites go and, and lost their service, services. What have we done? Now, folks, think about this for a moment. Shouldn't at least one person have said to Pharaoh, Well, what we did is what we should have done a long time ago. I don't know if you remember, Pharaoh, but this Lord of these people... Change the Nile into blood. Duh. What have we done? Uh, in case you don't remember, Pharaoh, the last plague, all of our firstborn children died. 
And between those two terrible plagues, there were eight others. I can give you ten good reasons of why we should let Israel go. The reason we don't read about that guy is because he was instantly killed. Okay? Just kidding. All right? Uh, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, like he needed to be told, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 of the best chariots. A chariot was the most sophisticated piece of weaponry in that time. And he had 600 of these elite chariots. Any of y'all ever watch uh, any of the old um, First Blood movies? You ever, you know, uh, watch any of the Sylvester Stallone and Rambo? And and in in Rambo 2, you see these Soviet gunships, these helicopters. And and they're pretty massive. Okay, they're pretty massive. So you have helicopters, and then you have those massive gunship helicopters. That's what these 600 chariots were like. They were like those massive gunship helicopters, and then all the other helicopters of Egypt were also... Okay, all the other... Excuse me. 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the... (laughs) Better be careful how I say this. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, I should not preach. Okay. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, <laughs> king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. By the way, at this point in time, Israel is doing really well. Okay? I just want to highlight this. They're doing really, really well. They're marching out boldly. That's what you do. When God sends you on a mission, you march out boldly. See, Israel was getting it right here. They were. They were. Verse 8. Or verse... Where am I at? 9. Yeah. So they were marching out boldly. Then verse 9. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them uh, as they camped by the sea near Pihahirath, opposite baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached the Israel, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Now, folks, let me try to create a scene for you. Rudy's been in combat before. He's been in real combat. Anybody else here ever been in combat? Okay, none of us. I don't know what it's like. You know, I've had a number of friends of mine who've been in combat before. I've had a number of friends of mine talk to me about the fear you sometimes feel when you know that someone's trying to kill you. Okay? It is, uh, it is a terrifying thing to be faced by people with real weapons trying to kill you. The, the difference is in this situation, I want you to imagine, and I can do this because I know what it's like to be a young father. Imagine... That you are a young man, fighting age, but in your arm you're holding your toddler. Uh, around this leg is a preschooler with his arms locked around your leg, terrified by what he sees in front of him. On this side you have another preschooler. Her little arms are around your leg. 
and your wife is standing next to you holding your infant child. You have no weapons. You have no military training. You, are, you have mountains to this side, this side. You're hemmed in by a desert. Behind you is a sea. It is only natural to feel great fear. It is only natural. It's not unnatural to be afraid in some circumstances. In fact, it, 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 it would be unnatural to not be afraid, to be unconcerned for your wife and your children. That would be unhealthy. And so this father and these other fathers, these women, these mothers of children, these people who are older and can't move fast, these, these children, they are terrified. Because they are facing the most sophisticated army, the most powerful army in the world at that time. And they're trying to kill them. And they are terrified. And this is what the Bible says. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. What do you do when you're terrified? They cried out to the Lord. Again, I believe at this time Israel has it right. I do. That what you do when you face a terrifying situation is you cry out to the Lord. Unfortunately, shortly after this, they begin to get something wrong. Okay? Verse 11. They said to Moses, Anybody here had to get the sarcasm besides me? Okay? All right. Eric, you do. <laughs> Jim, all right. We, a few of us are willing to admit this, okay? So did Israel. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Now, folks, this is like big-time sarcasm. Because I don't know what you know about Egypt, but they were, like, big-time preoccupied with death. They had all kinds of graves and all kinds of things. They were really caught up in, in this whole stuff. The reason we know as much as we do about Egypt, ancient Egypt, is because of all the things that were stored up in their, their graves. This is like big time sarcasm. It, it, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out, out of Egypt? Now, wait a second. When you read back to Exodus, they were the ones who were praying and crying out to God. Get us out of here. But now they're like, they're kind of changing their song, you know. What have you done? Bring us out of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. It's natural to be afraid. But one of the things you need to be careful of because, see, you and, and me, we are really just like the Israelites. This isn't about what they did then. This is about what we do now. Is we see God do mighty things. God did this plague, this plague, ten plagues, ten mighty acts of God. Each one of them 
targeting the gods of Egypt, showing the superiority of the Lord God of Israel over the gods of the Egyptians. And here it is, a week or two later. Yeah, it's natural to be afraid. And yes, you should cry out to God. But you shouldn't forget God. And you shouldn't forget what God has done. Folks, I do this. I have done this. You know, there have been times in my life where, you know, there have been times in the church where we've struggled with different issues. We have. And, and, um, you know, I, I remember, and I've told this story a number of times, but I remember one time we were struggling financially back during the recession. We didn't know how we were going to pay our, our, our lease that upcoming month. I was supposed to be preaching on give us a stay or daily bread, you know. Give us what we need today, Lord. Give us what we need today. And that morning, Matt walks in, finds an, finds an envelope laying right over there on that rug, right by that door. He finds an envelope. It's from a tight end for the San Francisco 49ers. And it has a check in it for $10,000. And he knew nothing about the need of our church. Wrote his check for ten grand. It was exactly what we needed. On the day I was preaching about give us a stay or daily bread. Give us what we need today, just for today. The difference is, is I want to win the lottery. I want it for today, next week, and a long time after. Okay? Sometimes it's easier to trust in money in the bank than it is to trust in God. Um, where am I at? Verse 12. Uh, well, verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Oh, wait a second. I'm going to give you some of the best advice you've ever received in your life today, right now. Okay? It's not mine. Sorry, I'm plagiarizing. Okay? I'm plagiarizing. But I'm going to give you some of the best advice you're ever going to hear for the rest of your life. It's this. Number one, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of right now? What scares you? What frightens you? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I'm not saying don't feel the emotion. There is a common emotion that we have. It's natural when a man with his wife and his children are facing armies to feel afraid. But there's a difference between feeling afraid and letting fear control you. There's a difference between feeling the emotion of fear and letting fear define you. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do not be afraid. Stand firm. There is a time, people, to stand firm. And that time is now. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isaiah 46. The first three months of 2020, I spent time every day just meditating on Psalm 46. And in Psalm 46, it says a lot of really awesome things. It begins, it says... Well, I can't remember exactly how it begins, so let's not go there. But let me just go to this one verse in in Psalm 46. And it says this. It says, Be still 
and know that I'm God. Well, actually, you know what? I've, I've got to, let me just, I've, I've got to read it for you real quick. It's just, it is so awesome. In Psalm 46, the Bible says this. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength. You know, when you're in times of fear, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. When it feels like the world is falling apart, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. Um, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Egypt. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. Egypt. He, the Lord, lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations He's brought on the earth. The plagues. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Why does He make wars cease? Because He destroys destroys the opposing forces. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shields with fire. He says, be still. Be still. And know that I'm God. There is a time to be still. And know that He's God. Let's get back to Exodus. Sorry. Verse 13 Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, there's a time to be still. But there's a time to take action. There's a time to be still. There's a time to cry out to God. And there's a time for action. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Okay, you remember the gift of sarcasm a moment ago? I'm like, move on. What are you talking about? Move where? There's mountains there, desert there, mountains there. uh, There's this like a huge sea right behind us. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but there's like a huge sea, you know, and we're like, a lot of people, you know, and we got uh, uh, we got this army, you know, the greatest army in the world of our day. They're coming at us to kill us, and you're telling us to move on? By the way, when God says move, sitting on your hands, sitting around, even sitting around praying is not acceptable. When God says move, move. Period. Why are you crying after me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Funny, I would have never thought of this. Moses wouldn't have either if the Lord hadn't told him. It's not like Moses knows what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Moses didn't know what was going to happen. The people of Israel didn't know what was going to happen. 
Sometimes we read this because we already know what the outcome is. You know, by the way, what God's going to do is destroy the armies of Egypt. Sorry if I ruined the story for you. They didn't know that. They didn't know that. And so God tells, tells Moses, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain the glory through Pharaoh and all his army. Through his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front, stood between them, between, uh, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side, the Egyptians, and light to the other side, Israel, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back. Wouldn't you love to have been able to witness this? Where am I at? 21. Okay, thanks. The Lord stretched out his hand over the sea all that night. Okay, the water, the waters were divided. Verse 22. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen, followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots. You remember those gunship helicopters, chariots? He, he jammed the wheels, the rotor blades, so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, not a single one. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. What we're talking about here is a holy reverence and awe that makes you tremble in the presence of God. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Uh, I want to share with you five 
quick thoughts here. Number one, uh, number one thing is there's a time here where Egypt is murmuring against Moses. But really, they're not just murmuring against Moses. But they are murmuring against the Lord. You remember that? You remember when they got kind of sarcastic with Moses? And, and, and I think that one of the things I want to encourage you is be careful of unholy murmuring in times of trial and testing. But sometimes we can begin to doubt God and we can begin to, to murmur and complain. Now, let me say something real quick. In this case, I don't believe Moses deserved this murmuring against him. Now, there are times when pastors will do things and people will murmur against the pastor. It's because the pastor is a knucklehead. By the way, every pastor is a knucklehead, all right? Every pastor you're ever going to meet, every pastor of every church you're ever going to attend is going to have knucklehead moments. Now, there are some guys, though, who really major at this, all right? I'm not going to mention anybody by, by name, but there is a celebrity pastor of celebrities who in New York City was, was discovered he was having a series of affairs with women in his church. That's being a knucklehead. There's a reason for a complaint there, okay? There really is. And I do believe, you know, even with the apostles, there was a time when a complaint was brought to them. We read about this in Acts chapter 7. There was a complaint. Why? Because there were Jewish... Uh, Hellenistic Jewish widows who were being overlooked. They weren't getting fed uh, and weren't getting what they needed uh, to live on. And so what, what, what the people did is they brought this complaint. And the Bible says complaint. They brought this complaint to the apostles. There is a time to bring complaint. There really is. And what, what the apostles did is they said, choose from among yourselves seven, seven men filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, that we may put them in charge of this task. By the way, those seven men, I've been reading back through Acts recently, so I'm, this is like fresh on my head. But it's like, um, but every one of those men has a Hellenistic name. Meaning that the people who brought the complaint were the people who are part of the solution. Okay? And that's what you do when you have a concern. Is it, it's right to bring a concern to leadership, but it's also right to say, and this is how we want to solve the problem. In our church, we have been so blessed through the years to have people who will bring a concern, but they bring a solution, and they step up for it as well. Now, one of the people, you know, they're in Texas now. I miss them so much, Lee and Christy. Christy was wonderful. <laughs> she, she would come to me, and she'd say, Gary, we have a problem. And she'd tell me what the problem was. And then she'd say, uh, and this is what I'd like to do. I'd be like, oh, okay, fantastic. And then I'd ask her, what do you, what do you need from me? Just stay out of the way, all right? <laughs> she didn't say it like that, but, but it, was, it was clear. And, you know, she was so good about bringing issues to me, but she was always really, really good at bringing solutions with the issues and then stepping up to take the action. And, and we still have people like this. Uh, Caroline, I think you're, you're like that. You know, Steve, Sandy, they're like that. Is through the years, we've, we've had these people, we've been blessed with people who bring concerns, bring issues, but they also bring solutions. And then they say, and I'll help. 
And, and so there is a right way, but the truth is there's also a very unholy way of murmuring. And we see this with the people of Israel. And we see it a lot more. If we were to continue our series through Exodus right now, you will see it again and again. They were really good at murmuring, okay? So be careful of unholy murmuring in times of trial and testing. Number two, do not let fear control you. What does Moses say to the people? Do not be afraid. Do not, it's okay to feel fear, but don't let it control you. Don't let your fear define you. Don't let your fear define what you're going to do next because you need to take action. Fear is actually a gift from God. Fear tells us it's time to take action. It's time to do something. It's okay to feel fear. But don't let fear define you. Don't let fear control you. Do not be afraid. Number three, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Stand firm. Moses says, stand firm. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, he says this. He says, um, he says uh, be steadfast. Immovable. Be steadfast. Stand firm. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Don't be afraid. My son Caleb, his theme verse in life is Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. Step out in obedience. When God says, when the Lord says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. When God says, do this, do it. Step out. Step out. Be obedient. Stand firm in the faith. Step out in obedience. Finally, number five. It is the Lord who fights for you and for His glory. The Lord, in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. And then later he says, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his, his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And when I gain glory through Pharaoh. See, the Lord fights for you, and he fights for his glory. I'll ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. You know, all of us face times where we are going to experience fear. We do. All of us face times where it feels like an impossible situation. And uh, what we want to do is we want to uh, we want to Stand firm in the faith. We want to not let fear define us, but we want to stand firm in our faith. Let me pray for us. And then I think, uh, Nathan, you're coming up. And uh, I'll turn it over to the worship team. God, you are great. You are good. You are awesome. Uh, You are faithful. You are our creator who created all things. You are the sustainer of all things. You are the ruler over all things. You are the judge of the living and the dead. You are also full of grace and mercy and kindness and ready to forgive all who will humble themselves before you. Lord, sometimes in life we face situations that for us feel uh, frightening. And Lord, right now, I don't know what people in our room are 
facing. I know my own fears. And I know other people in, in this room have their own fears. And my prayer is that, God, that we will not be defined by our fear, but we will stand firm in our faith and that we will step out in obedience to you and let you fight on our behalf. I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. All right. Good morning. Uh, hello to everybody watching online. It's been a minute since I've done this, but for all of you who don't know, my name is Nathan, and I'll be going through some announcements and leading our worship through giving. So every time you give in Jesus' name, you make a difference in others and in your personal life. Partnering, partnering with SVC and generosity helps accomplish these things together, and that can never be accomplished alone. So there are five different ways you can give. There are three virtual ways and two uh, physical ways. So the first one, you can go to our web- website at uh, solanovalley.org, and then there's a giving tab, and then you can do it through there or set up like an online banking through there. And then there are two ways on your phone. You can tap the Give button on your SVC app, or you can text GIVE to 707-883-3019, and then I'll give you like some prompts to follow. And then the two physical ways, you can send a check to 1307 Alder Road, Fairfield, California, 94584. Or if you're here in person, there's a slot behind the sound booth uh, that you can draw any of your gimmicks in. And then, so next, we have um, Coffee with the Pastor. Uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Mac are at Journey Coffee on Chadbourne Road every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Uh, they'd love to chat with you. You can support local business, have some good coffee, talk to the pastors about anything. You can address a problem, maybe come with a solution too, to Pastor Gary if you'd like. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so lastly, we have our picnic in the park at Laurel Creek Park on Friday, August 19th. So that's a bit less than three weeks from now. It'll be 5.30 to 7 p.m. And this will just be a time to connect, hang out, play some games, and enjoy a meal together. So please make plans to join us on that day. Now, without further ado, here's the... Thank you, Nathan, and welcome back. That's the first time we've had a UCLA student do our announcements. That's pretty cool. Let's stand together, church.
Thanks everyone for tuning in online. We'll see you next time.